This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate. Hi, I'm Greg Watson and welcome to this week's show of Property Matters, where we talk all things property with a focus mainly on Manawatu Wanganui, but also further afield in national and sometimes international news. Starting off today, this article in Stuff by Paul Mitchell says Fielding's average house price hits $720,000 as Manawatu Wanganui prices shatter record after record. The fielding house prices are at an all-time high as the wider Manawatu Wanganui region just keeps going on the up. The Real Estate Institute of New Zealand's latest figures show fielding's average house price hit $720,000 in September and that's up 44% from last September and matching Palmas North's record that was set in August. 44% in one year. Incredible. Meanwhile, Manawatu Wanganui's average house prices was at a record 626000 after either equaling or setting new records in 11 of the past 12 months. And even in Palmerston North, where the average price dropped back $10,000 over that month, house prices were still 23% higher than in September 2020, with five new records set in the same time. Property brokers Fielding sales manager Simon Manthal said Fielding had probably matched its larger neighbour's record now because there was currently a lot of churn in the market. He says it's the Fielding labour market pushing local prices up with a strong industrial area, all the tractor dealerships and the work on at Ohakia Air Force Base. So we've got a steady flow of people moving in and out of town. Manthal said like in many markets, the rapid climb in prices was hardest on first home buyers and hopefully for them it will slow down at some point, but there are no signs of a slowdown yet. Another factor in the market is the pandemic's disruption to international trade, and that's made already existing difficulties with rising material costs and shortages much worse. The cost of building a new house is horrific now, Manthal said, and despite prices for existing homes rocketing up even faster, it was still a cheaper option than a new build. And so all of that in turn fuels competition for the houses and drove up prices. It's uh, pretty much uh, fairly interesting there, and it mirrors a lot of what I'm seeing in the fielding market as well, that uh, not a lot of properties to choose from, and so therefore if you can get into a multi-offer situation, then you really tend to get a premium price. Another news here, this from stuff.co.nz by George Hagney. Work on Manukura School site to begin. So the work on the new Manukura School site at Massey University is finally about to start and the new school should be operational by 2024. So the Palmas North School was in 2018 awarded $20 million by the government to build a new school at the university. Once the new building is complete, Manukura will move from its temporary site in the old Massey Teachers College where it's been for the last 17 years. A further $11.6 million of funding was announced earlier this year. Now this money goes into a lot of people working locally, which is really good, or to attracting people into our area. The first sod was turned in November of last year and now contractors Maycroft Construction will start establishing the site on Monday. 
that is the Monday just gone, and break ground the following week, so next week as per the time this was recorded. Yvette McCausland-Jury of the school's senior leadership team said they expected to move out of their present location at the Old Teachers College by the end of 2023 and be in the new school by 2024. So they said as a huge ability to operate really smartly and they'll be enhanced by the new build. She says they've got huge respect for the resilience of our staff and students who just adapt and get on with what they have. So the new location will change the way that they operate because now the school spends a lot of time ferrying students around the city to different parks and facilities for sport education. For example, Rangitane Park in Awapuni for rugby, Leader Aquatic Centre for Swimming and Recovery, Massey for netball and some teaching, and Whole Grain Organics in the city for food and nutrition teaching. So it's believed the Manukura will be the first school in New Zealand to operate on a university campus. Uh, and it looks like uh, from the picture they've got here, it will be sighted as you go around Tennant Drive, um, just past both entrances on the left of the university, up the hill and just there on the flat. So that gives some um, interesting opportunities uh, for the school there as well. Interesting to see how that would go because another aspect of uh, Manukura is that it fosters the academic and sporting excellence in Māori students and, of course, uh, whether they'll be able to somehow use some of those facilities at the university, we'll just have to wait and see. Another large project happening that's bringing people into the area, of course, is the Kiwi Rail Freight Centre. And you might recall this has uh, won the $40 million Provincial Growth Fund for Planning and Land Acquisition. This article by Janine Rankin says Kiwi Rail has the last word on plans to take land for a new freight centre. So it's a bit of an update really on the what I've brought to you in the last couple of weeks. But this one says that the Kiwi Rail still has hurdles to jump over to make its proposed new rail freight distribution centre on the outskirts of Palmas North a reality, but its lawyer says there are no showstoppers. So there were a few issues still to be resolved, um, including partnerships with Iwi, protection of council roads and a water bore, and how long Kiwi Rail should be given to start work. Kiwi Rail lawyer Alison Arthur Young said the road ahead would not be easy and should not be easy, as rules about protecting water, for example, were likely to change rapidly. Kiwi Rail's proposal involves a large area of land extending beyond Palmas North Airport, including part of the northeast industrial zone, and rural land stretching most of the way to the village of Bunnythorpe. It would include closing the high crash railway road, shifting the main trunk railway line, culverting waterways, creating stormwater detention ponds and moving massive amounts of earth to level the site. The railway sidings would be extensive enough to accommodate 1.5 kilometre long trains in the future, which could be disassembled and goods transferred to trucks inside freight forwarding warehouses. Really, the uh, graphics for this, um, if you can find them online, it's pretty amazing. And it would replace the rail yards in Tremainev, freeing up that 40-hectare area for other purposes, diverting trucks from the city streets and enabling the transfer of more freight from roads to rail. Arthur Young said it was a critical piece of infrastructure with incredible benefits, which I would agree with. It was a sort of inland port operation recognised by the Infrastructure Commission in the past few days as a vital part of the distribution network fundamental to regional prosperity, she said. Arthur Young said while a lot of the hearing had been absorbed with considering its effects, particularly on those who would become neighbours, there was a wider context. Uh, there were certain aspects here which would resolve some issues that we've currently got. 
for example, in Tremaine Ave, uh, that's probably not going to be able to cope with increasing volumes of freight moving between road and rail in its current setup. So Arthur Young said it would be a huge change for local community and local people when she and Kiwi Rail representatives were disappointed they could not be in Palmas North to acknowledge it in person, being stuck in lockdown in Auckland. But many details of the effects and how to deal with them, such as noise and vibration, lighting, loss of views and management of waterways were still to come and would be thrashed out when Kiwi Rail applied for, for regional resource consents. So it's sort of a bit of a process really, but it's mo- moving along and it's getting there. And uh, we'll just have to uh, watch that space. Another area that's looking for development, and this is something that's been ongoing for a little bit of time, this this article by Janine Rankin. The heading is, Land Parcels Protective Web of Legal Red Tape Takes Some Unpicking. So the next manoeuvres in a tortuous process to free up former bowling club land and housing in Palmerston North have been set in motion. The City Council decided in October 2020 after a round of public consultation to head down the path of removing the former bowling club property from strict legal controls that prevent its sale. Now this is uh, on the corner of Park Road and Fitzherbert Ave. So it's finished publicly notifying its intention to seek a law change to increase the range of options for the future of the land. The block has not been used for bowls in more than 15 years. Now, currently, it's under the provisions of the Palmer's North Reserves Act of 1922, which prevents its sale. The Reserves Empowering Act of 1966, however, however, provides a way to remove reserves from that rule. So you can see the red tape aspect. <laughs> so the proposal is to add the reserve, latterly known as the Huia Street Reserve, to the schedule of properties covered by that act. And the council has given public notice of its intention to promote the law change. So just going to have to, it's taking its time. It's uh, a bill being brought to parliament to allow that to happen. So a bit of a long long process. Because of that legal tie-in, uh, Palmas North MP Tangi Utekeri has agreed in principle to support the bill being brought to parliament. And once he's done that, the bill would go through the usual three readings in consideration by a select committee, for which would call for submissions for the public. A former council got that far into the process in 2007 but stumbled at the select committee stage. So that's, uh, <laughs> at that time the Railway Land Action Group successfully challenged the validity of the bill as there would be no community consultation, no mandate of community support for the possible disposal of the reserve. So um, that's now, they're getting their dots in a row this time. Uh, the Mayor Grant Smith has described the piece of land as um, not particularly well maintained, simply growing re- weeds. So there's still about half of the 80 people who made earlier submissions still defending the green space. So I have to see what happens there. Uh, it's not an overly large space, I wouldn't have thought, but nevertheless, um, some of the uh, opponents to it were wanting to make sure there's an abundance of green space in the neighbourhood. The other opponents were concerned about increase in traffic congestion around what was already a busy intersection next to Palmas North Girls High and on the route to Massey University. So it really depends what they're going to put there as to what happens. Also, if you've been down Pioneer Highway lately, you would have noticed that uh, the general essence of this article, uh, which is that contractors raised the roof on long-awaited Pioneer Highway countdown, this by Paul Mitchell, 
So I went past it this morning. It's looking uh, pretty amazing if you haven't been down that way. And you can see uh, very clearly how it's going to sit. And it's sitting well back off the road. And it says that in the article, the long-anticipated new supermarket in Palmerstorf is finally taking shape as construction workers raise the roof. Nearby residents have been eagerly awaiting Pioneer Highway Countdown since the development was announced eight years ago. Countdown Director of Property Matt Granger said Auckland-based firm Watts and Hughes Construction are making great progress with the supermarket's roof being installed this week. A new traffic intersection between Pioneer Highway and Amberley Ave was also being built as part of the development. So the work began on the Pioneer Supermarket in early May, but the contractors had to pause during the August lockdown before getting back to work at Alert Level 3 on September 1. Granger said the pandemic had disrupted work and international supply lines, but Countdown was working with its contractors and suppliers. But with ongoing supply challenges for construction materials, we're seeing a few delays to our development projects, including Pioneer Highway. So far, there have only been minor delays during construction. The supermarket was still on track to open in early 2022, he said. So once complete, there'll be a 3,563 square metre supermarket, which will include a pharmacy, an area to pick up online orders, a cafe and a 190-space car park. Countdown estimated supermarket will add at least 80 new jobs in the neighbourhood, so that's good news. Supermarket will eventually anchor a shopping centre with space for between 14 and 21 commercial and retail tenants to be built in the second phase of the overall development. So it'll be interesting to see. Those of you who have been around here a while will know that the Pioneer Highway supermarket development has already faced several prolonged delays. It was announced after Progressive Enterprises, Countdown's parents company, bought the former Awapuni Tavern site in 2013, but it took three years to get resource consent. Progressive and the Palmerston North Council clashed over the proposed supermarket plans and new urban planning rules. So the negotiations failed and the disagreement went to the Environment Court. By the time everything was resolved in 2016, the delay had added another half a million dollars to the development's $1.6 million budget. So as a result, Countdown had to reassess and adjust its plan and then apply to alter the resource consent. So that was all approved February of last year. Uh, but the tender process, further changes and consent issues delayed construction for over a year. So it does seem like it's been going on for a considerable amount of time. But uh, nevertheless, early next year, hopefully that'll be in place and it'll be great for people in the neighbourhood. So we're going to have a little break now. Just got a little bit of music here on Property Matters. This is Moby with Why Does My Heart. Why Does My Heart. Why does my soul feel so bad? Why does my heart?
You're listening to Property Matters here on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, Te Reo, Irirangi o Ngā Tangata o Manawatu. I'm Greg Watson. It's lovely having your company. We've been talking about mainly local news and we're going to keep it here in the Manawatu. This is something here which I've put a couple of posts on Facebook just to have a bit of a chat about. So if you want to find me on Facebook, it's just Greg Watson. Uh, I can't tell you the name of the other site as I can't promote a business. But if you look up Greg Watson on Facebook, then uh, I've put a post on there about, about this article. And this article was by Paul Mitchell recently and it says, Bull's Water Tower could be getting an artistic makeover after beautification proposal says that Bull's distinctive but drab mushroom-shaped water tower could be getting a makeover. The Rangatike District Council's Assets and Infrastructure Committee decided on Thursday to look into a suggestion to beautify the old Bull's water tower from Operations Manager Jessica McIlroy. McIlroy's proposal was inspired by a similar project in New York where artists were given free reign to create murals and artworks on the city's decommissioned water towers. Those are well worth looking up, by the way, if you have never seen those. Just probably look up uh, Water Towers New York and uh, incredible painting there, turning something that's an eyesore into something beautiful. I'm not saying the Bulls Water Towers an eyesore, I'm just talking about the ones in New York. So Committee Chairman Dave Wilson said the plain concrete tower was a prominent landmark, so the idea had merit, and enough of the full council was present to authorise council staff to investigate potential options and costs. So interestingly, uh, the mushroom-shaped water tower can be seen from a long way away, and... Wilson said it could be a further enhancement to Bulls, which is a gateway to the Rangatike district. The proposal noted that there were many sources of funding available for beautification and placemaking work, so it potentially cost the council very little to pretty up the tower. Once the initial investigation was complete, the results would be presented at a full council meeting to decide on options to go out for public consultation. So the Taumahi Street Tower has stood in Bulls since 1956, when it was built to support the growing number of Defence Force families stationed at Ohakia. The mushroom, as the water tower is known, was decommissioned a couple of years ago and the earthquake-prone structure was slated for demolition to reduce the risk to a new reservoir at the same site. But the tower got a reprieve last year after public submissions on its fate came back 83 to 48 in favour of keeping the tower. The council listened and they spent $181,500 to strengthen it. So Chief Executive Peter Begg said that process demonstrated Ratepayers were invested in the tower and suggested it would be receptive to decorating it. So there were a lot of suggestions for beautification in those submissions, including shaping it into a UFO, which was my personal favourite, not for any reason apart from that it would look quite stunning. So it'd have a silver top and then maybe a green beam shooting down, looking like it's abducting people. Could even paint it and glow in the dark paint, I don't know. But uh, uh, that's some suggestions. Otherwise, the Bulls Community Committee had previously suggested setting up a walkway and viewing platform on top of the tower, he said. That sounds pretty cool as well. It's like the ones in Wanganui that you can, uh, not water towers, but the um, various towers you can walk up and look at the views. They're, they're pretty cool. And it can get people to stop in the area and to give it a go. And if they're stopping, hopefully they're spending. Coincidentally, the committee had asked the councillor Brian Carter to raise the idea of a mural at the same site in Thursday's meeting. And while councillor Nigel Belsham agreed the council should look into options to decorate the tower, he had some reservations. Council staff had recommended demolishing the mushroom because concrete water towers generally lasted about a century and it was likely the council would have to knock it down anyway within 40 years. Well, I'd argue 40 years of having a pretty cool landmark, particularly if it stops people and stops traffic, is probably worth doing, just my view. Mind you, 
I don't know the cost <laughs> of painting versus demolition. And, uh, yeah, so I'd be interested to know. Um, you can always comment on this or, or comment in the comment section uh, if you want to about uh, what you might like to see it be. I mean, the obvious another one is a mushroom, of course. You could paint it uh, as its balls. Um, you could paint it uh, in some theme along those lines. Why not have a ball being abducted by a UFO? That could be interesting, but probably completely, um, I don't know, a bit, bit left, left field, that one. <laughs> Not sure about that, but uh, you've got to have a laugh, don't you? So, um, yeah, that's my favourite. I'll say it on record, a UFO beaming up a ball. There we go. Right, so we're going to get back to some news now, and this is in, more in the national news around the housing market. And uh, this article says house prices fell 6.5%, Sales 9.7% in the last month. Now, this article has come from Miriam Bell and stuff, and she says that house sales dropped by 37.9% in September from the same time last year, or at least the Real Estate Institute figures say that. So why? Well, of course, sales activity in Auckland was down even further uh, than that, but uh, it just shows that the... The effect that Auckland has, the Auckland market is so massive uh, in terms of the number of properties and while those sales aren't happening uh, due to not being able to happen during COVID, it creates this national figure where um, the sales have dropped significantly. Of course, we'll just have to wait and see. I think there'll be a surge upwards uh, once we come out of uh, lockdown in the Auckland area. So it's interesting because the... Jen Beard, the CEO of the Real Estate Institute, says that spring activity might be delayed in some regions, but she said that it was expected as restrictions ease more properties would come onto the market. Now, we came out of the restrictions a lot earlier here in um, Manawatu, Wanganui, and we can see the effect. There's plenty of properties coming on the market. Uh, still a shortage, but, but there are more. Jen Beard says that over the lockdown period, interest in the market has remained high and we expect to see this reflected in data post-lockdown as more properties are listed, resulting in an increase in sales. So it's important to say that while sales were down, the figures show house prices increased nationwide by 15.4% when compared from uh, September of this year to September of last year. And in our region, uh, ours was one of the seven uh, of the 16 regions that actually reached new record median prices, as mentioned earlier in the show. So the regions that are still skyrocketing, Bay of Plenty, Hawke's Bay, Manawatu, Wanganui, Tasman, Nelson, Canterbury and Southland. So Baird said that overall prices are proving resilient, with some regions noting a decrease in the number of first-home buyers, in part due to rising prices. It's just a bit about that there as well. And uh, the next article I had here, if I just shuffle my papers around, was that, again by Miriam Bell and Stuff Lifestyle, that sight-unseen multi-million dollar house sales are on the rise. Begs a question that I've asked more than once on this program, would you buy a home without seeing it first? New Zealand Sotheby's International Realty has had $1.1 billion in sales over the year to date, and of that $105 million, approximately 10%, were sales where the buyer did not physically view the property. Two of the sight unseen sales were among the country's top five house sales in this calendar year. The properties were in Queenstown, both of them, one in Closeburn, sold for $16.1 million, the other in Jacks Point, sold for 14.5. million. 
About 35 million of the agency's online sales, where the buyer did not visit the property for a viewing, had been during the latest lockdown. So things still moving forward. So Managing Director Mark Harris says COVID has changed people's mindsets and there was clear interest in finding lifestyle living near a mountain, a beach or a lake with fresh air and room to move. So that translated into an increase in buyers spending millions of dollars on homes in areas like Queenstown, Wanaka, Waiheke, Tauranga and Hawke's Bay despite not having set foot on the property. Isn't that, that's uh, really quite crazy and uh, again I don't know if I'd be that brave, but certainly you'd have to wonder how many of those are coming from outside of the region, so uh, in terms or even outside of the country. That would be an interesting thing to know uh, who's spending the money to buy these large areas sight unseen. I won't uh, mention that uh, sometimes people from overseas uh, may spend a lot of money in a way of money laundering, but the anti-money laundering legislation has meant that that's become uh, a lot more difficult uh, for foreign people to buy property in New Zealand, particularly uh, if there's a a number of shield companies or trusts and that sort of thing. So I'd hope it's gone to New Zealanders that will love it and appreciate it. Um, But uh, certainly buying without seeing is something that has been rare in my experience. And that's all for this week's show on Property Matters. It's been lovely having your company today. Thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. Please uh, find this wherever you can find all good podcasts and subscribe to Property Matters. Otherwise, you can tune in next week, of course, here on mpr.nz. Thanks for listening. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show.